Hi, I'm Ryan Nash, and welcome to my podcast. In today's episode, I have the privilege of sitting down um, for a discussion with somebody I've been uh, wanting to to do this with since the, I even started thinking about doing the podcast. Um, Kara McDonald, she's the librarian and genealogical research manager at the Scotiabank Family History Center, uh, located at the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 in Halifax. Uh, it, she's a, just a, a delightful person to speak to, uh, full of knowledge, and I, I hope you'll, uh, sh- you, you'll be able to, to learn and uh, enjoy some of our, our discussion as we uh, go through today. And stick around to the end when I'm going to share a, a breakthrough that Kara was able to help me, me do uh, following the podcast. Um, Welcome to How We Got Here, a genealogy podcast hosted by Brian Nash, exploring the tools, tips, and resources for genealogists from Atlantic Canada and family historians from around the globe who are researching their ancestors from Atlantic Canada. Every family has a story, so stick around as Brian and his guests share the unique family stories that help shape the history and culture of Atlantic Canada. to my podcast today, um, Kara McDonald. She's the, the Librarian and Genealogical Research Manager at the Scotiabank Family History Centre in Halifax. It's located at the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the, the podcast. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So um, I one of the first questions I always ask everybody is, how do you and really get interested in genealogy. Tell me a little bit about sort of what you're doing now too at the the center, because I know that's a a part of it. Um, So if you, um, you know, tell me what you do and then sort of how you got interested in that and how you got on the genealogical podcast, uh, the genealogical um, path to, to, uh, to a career. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So my origin story what got me interested in genealogy? Um, it's probably very similar to many people who are listening. Uh, there was a story in my family about a great, great, great grandfather. Um, <laughs> and he was always painted very colorfully, should we say. Uh, you know, he was pop, he was a fighter. He had, you know, his arm shot off at one point. He had made himself a hook (laughs) as a prosthetic. He was a bootlegger, you know, just this very big 
uh, personality. Um, he was in trouble with the law. He'd been arrested. You know, there was this whole story that he uh, lit somebody's house on fire. And oh my gosh, the stories about this person was through the roof. And uh, it was probably like, I think like 2002, somewhere around that time. And I was like, okay, I got to find out if this is true or not. Like, did, you know, did this person really do all of these things? Because this seems, you know, pretty unusual. And uh, so I just, I wasn't even really aware of genealogy at the time. I just wanted to find out if the story was true. So um, my first stop would have was the uh, was uh, Nova Scotia Archives and Records Management, uh, and their staff was really helpful in kind of showing me the way, <laughs> you know, giving me those first uh, that first introduction to how how to research, what I should be looking for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it just kind of exploded from there. You know, you have those moments where your, your brain just explodes because I am a puzzle person. I love puzzles. So I just took to it immediately and, I, and it became my passion very quickly. I know listeners can totally resonate with that where you're just, you know, you, you become time blind. That time blindness starts happening and you know I was so engaged I loved it so much and from there I was just like how do I make this a career like how do you you know become and have somebody pay you to do this work for the rest of your life <laughs> and so when I um uh, <clears throat> excuse me where I ended up going with that was um librarianship because, you know, like public libraries have local history departments gene- and, and, you know, offer genealogical services. And then, of course, you have archives, uh, even, you know, university and academic libraries. Um, so the, I felt like that would give me a really good opportunity to get my foot in the door with an institution where, you know, I might have the opportunity to, to get into this type of work. So I did the two-year library information technology program at NSCC uh, from 2007 to 2009 is when I graduated. And the summer between those two years, I discovered the Scotiabank Family History Center at the museum. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect fit for me. And I had a summer job as a research assistant working with the public. And I never left. I've been there since. So I've been at the, so it turned into like a permanent position eventually and uh, a management position. And so I've been there since 2008. (laughs) And this is what I do all day, every day. I and helping people from around the world research their families, uh, all types of different cultures, digging in any uh, genealogical source that you can imagine that's out there and learning so much along the way. And I think because the fact that the um, the, ta- the, the subject uh, is so diverse and Canada is so diverse and there's so many different uh, peoples and cultures that come here that you know 
you're just always learning and finding new sources. It's a, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great job for people who, who like to learn because you just, you're never going to know any, everything. You know? Um, yeah. So I guess like that's my uh, origin story kind of leading up to, to where I am today. So I'm fortunate that uh, I get to do this every day um, as my full-time permanent job. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier about that. Uh, yeah, I know it's probably a, a dream job of a lot of my my listeners who, uh, like myself, are sort of more in the, the amateur uh, genealogy realm, um, researching our own families or helping our, our friends and, and, and other people. Um, so at the at the 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 center in at the, at the museum there now what what type of research you you do i know what i you know when i first experienced pier 21 it was near when it originally opened um i was living in i will, i want to say i was in annapolis valley at the time and my wife and I went and we visited because we had just moved from Halifax a couple of years before. We were, her, her grandfather, um, who had, like my grandfather, had left from Pier 21 for the war, to go overseas to the war, had left from Pier 21. So we, we took him there when he was visiting one time. And um, that was sort of my first experience. And I, I really... Um, you know, as of the Fadil, it's it's a it's about immigration and the whole port thing there. But I know from talking to you in the past that the uh, you guys do so much more. It's not just about yeah who arrived on these boats in Halifax during this period that you can find the information, but you just do so much more. So what what would a sort of a day today? Um, experience be for you like if somebody was to go in what type of things are you dealing with on on the day every day um you know what what resources could I go to you looking for looking for help with okay so um oh my gosh the day-to-day it's well I guess let's start with kind of um the reason why people usually reach out to us and that would be to find um an immigration record. A lot of people they're they're looking for that 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 passenger list for their family member, um, and uh, you know sometimes we can find it like right away. Uh, we do use online sources, so we're not an institution that uh, has record collections. Uh, so everything that we do is online uh, for the most part. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, it usually starts there. Oftentimes, um, but people can, uh, will also just, you know, I'm looking for a birth record. They'll ask those uh, genealogy questions as well. And as far as the immigration research goes, usually I'm going to say, you know, 85% of the time we're having to consult other genealogical sources to gather information um, uh, that will lead us to uh, the, the immigration records. So, you know, your standard stuff, your uh, uh, census records, births, marriages, deaths, like pretty much anything that's out there, uh, obituaries, directories, maps, land records, like 
I, uh, listeners, you, I know you all know the, the genealogical sources. I, <laughs> I, I don't have to go through them all. But yeah, we're, we're gathering information from all of those to, to, to put the puzzle together, to kind of narrow things down, maybe create a smaller window of arrival, and then uh, going back to, to all the databases that we, we use to, to locate passenger lists and, and things of that nature. So, <clears throat> so we're, and not just Canada, of course, United States, uh, any uh, overseas records. So it's uh, we're yeah we've got our we've got our fingers into into everything. Wherever there's a genealogical record, we will we will go find it. <laughs> we will we will consult it. Um, so our knowledge is, is is quite vast. And you know not to you know pat ourselves on the back, but it's just the nature of it, right? Because I think it's interesting. <clears throat> Our experience is interesting. Like, you know, you, you said earlier, you referred to yourself as an amateur genealogist, starting with your own family and doing research for friends. And that's where it really starts. And a lot of genealogists, they're experts um, in those areas because they've done so much with their own families and uh, the families of their friends. With us, we... Um, Think about doing that, but like for like people all across Canada, United States, you know what I mean? So, so you, you tend to start to become like really well-versed in all types of communities in North America and um, being able to, and it may not necessarily be like being an expert on everything in that area, but it's being an expert on what the sources are that you need to consult and being able to locate them, find out where they are, what type of institutions usually hold those types of documents, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> I think I went off course a bit there, but, <laughs> but yes, the, the, uh, the, um, the requests usually come in as a, uh, an immigration request and then will develop over time and to uh, exploring all kinds of other things. So we do both, you know, sometimes our folks come in, if it's an on-site patron, they come in and they're like, I don't know anything about like my family history. I have no idea when they came in. So we're like, all right, we'll just start with what they know and start working backwards so that we can and put the family tree together so that we can find um, their original like immigrant ancestor type thing. So they get to go on that genealogical journey with us and, and you know, they get to see all the types of sources and how we, where we gather the information and how we put it together, how we analyze all of those documents that to eventually lead us to the, uh, to the, to the arrival record if it exists <laughs> or at least knowledge of the, the timeframe that they would have arrived. So is, is that sort of um, where most people would start from? Like, oh, well, I know my my family came from, you know, Latvia or wherever sometime in the, the late 1800s. So then do you, is it, do you start by looking at the immigration records or do you start by, okay, let's, let's get, yeah, the basics for following back, like, I would do my own self when I'm researching. I'll, you always start myself mm -hmm. and work backwards. Um, do you build up that record first, or would you? Are most people just more interested in really just getting to the 
the immigration one. Most people, you know, that's kind of their main thing. So they're like, oh, I think my grandfather came around like 1910 from Finland. We go, all right, like, what's his name? Do you know, you know, figure out about what time he was born? Do you have a general idea when he came? Throw that name in the database, do some searching, nothing comes up, try some wildcard searching, open up the parameters, see what results you get, spend a little bit of time there. Um, usually 10 to 15 minutes, um, because honestly, if I can't find something in the database in 10 to 15 minutes, there's something wrong. You know what I mean? There's a misspelling or the information uh, or the record is really poor and it can't be transcribed um, or the information that's provided is incorrect. So that at that point, I would be like, all right, let's check, let's research them in Canada and see what information we can find because we're not finding anything uh, in the immigration records. And so that's when, you know, usually I like to start around 1921 because I can start with that 1921 census and um, yeah. start and then move backwards. So, and again, you know, not just Nova Scotia, anywhere in the world. So like, you know, I just got an email today from someone in New York. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll start that after we finish. I'll start looking into uh, the arrival of some, uh, some folks around 1900 um, for a person in New York. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, sometimes it's just strictly in the immigration database, but oftentimes people aren't sure, right? Or the information that they have isn't right. Or there's some of it that's right, but some of it's that, that's wrong. Um, but so to answer your question, yeah. And in those cases, we're, we're going in and we're consulting the Canadian or the US records or whatnot and trying to gather as much information as we can uh, narrow down the window of arrival and see consistencies, like, you know, consistent year of birth. Um, if, if we're able to um, look at a few census records, we want to see like a consistent year of arrival given on those so that, you know, if somebody is constantly saying they came around 1905, give or take, then we're going to know they're probably coming around that time. So, then when we can limit the time frame we're searching in the immigration or passenger list databases, we can open up the parameters in other ways, like the spellings and the, and the names um, and omit certain things, uh, but still have that really to, to reduce the results that we have. Cause it's, yeah, it's tricky. It could get tricky. <laughs> And relying on on people's own memories, I know, and and what they might have been told. Like um, in a recent podcast, I had a, a recording that somebody did of my great grandmother when in, and she immigrated to Canada from Scotland in 1905. She was um, 12 and a half. But when she was talking to this person, she talked about immigrating in when she was 12 and a half in 1903, which actually she would have only been. Um, 10 and a half, and I know from looking at the 1911 census, the 1921 census, her immigration year for her family, and then in 1921 herself was put down as 1905, and I had found the passenger list, but if I would have just been going on, if I, I had been the one who did that interview for my great-grandmother and had been going on that time, I probably would have definitely not been, you know, I would have been looking in the wrong year, and I probably would have frustrated myself 
um, without having those other resources. The, the, um, do most people, is that what they're looking for? Is they, are they looking to, okay, I wanna know when my family got here, is there, or do you have people that really wanna dig in? Okay, I know they came here um, when, you know, you, you found out, yep, they, their history, maybe the family from immigration to them in Canada, you've gotten that. Do you, do most people want you to dig further um, and find out what they can on the, on the European or. Oh, like take it, take it across yeah, the pond. Asia. Yeah. Take, take <laughs> it across the pond farther. Do they, is, do, is that, or they just happen to know, okay, they came from Glasgow, Scotland, or they came from Dublin. Okay. That's, that's, I'm good with that. That's, or do you find people's interests? Well, and the average person yeah, that would be going to you. So it's like kind of like once we discover that, you know, the immigration piece, is that where it ends for, for most folks? Um, yeah, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you know it, it, it all depends, right? <clears throat> sometimes people are like, sometimes we just kind of go there anyway, because if we can look on the other side of the pond and see when they're there, that that helps create our... Um, window of immigration, right? And so, you know, we could be looking at uh, censuses and, you know, all kinds of other genealogical sources uh, in the old country. <clears throat> uh, so that could already be a piece that we're providing. Um, but oftentimes, and here's the thing too, though. We can only dedicate so much time to the research that we do for folks, right? Yeah. Uh, like, Currently, we, we, on our website, people from around the world can submit a research request to us. And so right now, there's five of us on staff, and we currently have a backlog of 365 research requests that we have to get to. So there's a big demand. There's lots of people wanting to find out information. We, you know, do as much as we can. We exhaust what we can, you know, uh, but sometimes we do have to put that um, kind of time lim limit on it because, you know, we do have so many people that are, are requesting our help with their research. So uh, oftentimes if we can, and we can quickly find some things for them, we absolutely will. But if it's a bigger project because they want to go back more and more generations, but it's not usually, if, and if we can't do it kind of relatively quickly, quickly for them, then um, we would have to kind of redirect them to either starting to, uh, you know, research on their own, which is something that people can do more easily these days. And, or hiring a professional genealogist or a genealogical researcher to, to help them out and pick up the project and then kind of direct them to some good sources for finding uh, somebody appropriate for them. People understand that because, you know, again, it's not, you know, like, not like, a, you know, professional genealogists that might take on, you know, two cases or five cases at a time, whatever, whatever it may be. We do, we have, we have a lot of people to, to assist. So we can only dedicate so much time. We do what we can within reason. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, do you, I know if I was a person, there's a difference of person submitting a request online and somebody that goes there. Um, 
now I know you have um, resources or you did before COVID that people could go to and would have some of the those genealogical sites so they can do their own Actually, research. Actually, we correct? do not have public, we don't have public okay. facing terminals for independent research. Uh, we okay. have uh, staff on site that work with the patrons to, to do the research yep. for them. So you, in, in pre-COVID times, okay. you sit side by side with the staff member and, you know, we do the research and, you know, we drive and our patron will be along for the ride. And that's because most of the folks that come visit us haven't done any genealogy that, you know, or they they may have dabbled a little bit, you know? And so th this way it's quicker, right? Because we know what we're doing. We know yeah. the sources, you, you know, uh, we know the databases. And so we're going right to the source and something that might take somebody hours to do, we could do in five minutes, you know? Um, so that's why, that's part of the reason why it's set up like that. So that we can have more people that visit the museum, <clears throat> excuse me, um, have success, right? And find the thing. Do you, do you ever get wrapped up in those things like you, you talked about, you know, and I, the time, rest time restraints, but you just find somebody's family story so fascinating that you, you know, you want to, you or your staff want to go farther and you want to, you want to dig deeper just because of the, the story behind it or just the. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> we are all guilty of that. And it's something that we all struggle with because we will get so invested, you know, and the challenge to find it that like, oh, you know, I, you know, you feel so close because you're finding all the other pieces and you know that, you know, they should be coming in this time frame. Why can't I find it? I know everything. They have to be coming sometime between this month and this month of this specific year, you know? So we are, yeah, we definitely are, uh, <laughs> we definitely want to find the things. And I think, but that's what makes us so successful as well, right? Because we do try really, really hard to, to be able to provide people with answers to their questions. Uh, we'll bring each other on on our research cases, you know, like, I can't find this person. Can you take a look and see what you can find? This is what I found so far. Like, here's my research report so far. And then sometimes, you know, just having the fresh eyes on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a research request or a problem uh, can, can open it up and you can get those results. But yeah, I mean, there's been times where and just even in the last year, I think me and one of my staff spent at least 24 hours working on a, on a very complicated request for a patron who lived in the United States, but was a situation with a lot um, uh, uh, name changes and multiple marriages and, and all kinds of fun things, you know, that, that really kept us engaged. And we ended up figuring it out, but it took us a very long time to do it. But the reward that we get from that too, right? That satisfaction of, yeah, we found it, um, really keeps us. <laughs> it's something we, 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 try, we try to manage it, you know? But, um, but that's part of the fun. I mean, that's why we all keep doing this, right? Like, 
you didn't get that that uh, that that reward, you know, that feeling of accomplishment from looking and and you know researching and plugging away at it, and then you find it. It's just it feels so great. We, you know, my my mouse. I'm looking at my mouse pad right now. That to it looks like kind of like a danger sign, like a warning sign. And it says danger, genealogy research area, expect strong language and occasional whoops of delight. And that pretty much sums it up, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it's gotta be, um, I know I, when I get those breakthroughs that I've been looking for, I get excited when it's, um, I think, as much because I've made them and I've actually and uh, almost more more yeah the completion as opposed to what the actual ending is um, to completing that task whether I I found the person and there wasn't a lot of ex excitement or you know a lot of useful stuff I found about that person but I actually found them I find that's just as rewarding because I look so long or I look to try to make yeah. sure I found the right person. <laughs> and um, you know, it's fun um, for us when we're working with patrons um, in the physical space, you know, oftentimes when I have new hires, I'm like, okay, sometimes people are going to um, be a little bit, they can be physical. People might want to hug you. They might grab you by the shoulders and get excited and say, oh my God, you found it, you found it. You know, like when our patrons get, have that excitement too, it's just, uh, it, it's such a wonderful feeling. And then it spreads to the other people in the library as well. And people are like, did you find it? Yeah, I found my great grandmother, you know? It's just so much fun. Um, so, yeah, I can't talk enough about like how fun, like, you know, uh, the, the center is and, and how that, you know, that joy just spreads throughout. Um, speaking of joy or lack thereof and talking a little bit about going across the pond, are there, are there countries where you're, you find, I mean, I know from my own experience, my, my Irish ancestors, <laughs> I hate having to go back and find anything from them because there's so yeah. many records that are lost, um, but are are there countries that are you know they're because of the way they've kept the records or what's available or just the resources that, that they've made available that just make, that are if I have ancestors from a certain area that oh this I know I'm probably going to I'm I'm going to find quickly like you said that 15 minute search I should be able to find them if I have mm. the right information but even if I have all that right information then there's other ones that even if I have that right information I could be sitting here for hours or longer because it's so hard to 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 get yeah. it or there's so little it's, yeah that's a tough um, question to answer because it's like you know of course you know Britain England and, and, you know, Scotland did record keeping, lots of things that have been saved. Ireland can be like awful, uh, even Canada. Cause I mean, you know, we don't really see um, relatively, I don't feel like others might disagree with me on this, but relatively good like record keeping or creation until Confederation in 1865. And then even then it's not consistent because, you know, records management procedures in 
Canada didn't really get standardized and, and they weren't strong and full like the 1930s. So there's a lot of gaps and holes and missing, missing things in Canada. Um, and it's across, you know, it's around the world, right? Um, and then you have certain areas mm-hmm. that have been devastated by war and conflict where lots yeah. of, you know, collections are lost due to that. I mean, you know, in the United States, we see that in um, the UK with uh, the World War I um, service files, you know, like, so, and then of course, you know, there are lots and lots of places through through Eastern Europe. And, you know, uh, there's lots of uh, groups that are, you know, collecting things and putting things together. Um, you also have to kind of consider what's going on today in, the, in those areas. Maybe there's not a lot of resources in certain countries or places to invest in making collections more readily available to the public. So it's harder to uh, get that information. You know, we're, I think we're all getting so accustomed to being able to sit in front of our computer and, and, and the world's just kind of open to us as far as uh, uh, records go. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, okay, I need a, I'm looking for a baptism from 1870 in, you know, I don't know, <laughs> Syria, you know, like, yeah. it's like, okay, there's nothing online. Yep. All right. Who would hold this? Where would it be? You know, like, <laughs> so, you know, and then it's like, oh, I got to write to this place and you know, different language. And then, you know, some people don't follow up on it, but, you know, other people, if you want the information, you're going to do it. So it's kind of like, hey, let's go back to the way things used to be. And we used to have to write letters to people and (laughs) and get other people to do our, yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge part of being a a genealogist is learning how to write a letter when you're asking for information. about your family or, you know, about your research uh, uh, subject. You know, I often get email from the public that will, you know, explain like what they want, but then they won't give me like a name <laughs> or like, a, a year of birth or, or what, like the important details that I would need to actually do the research. So I have to like email them back and say, yeah, I can look into it. Can you tell me what their name is and when they were born and, you know, just information gathering. So if you present that in your first, um, your first email or your first letter with as much detail as you know, and kind of what your research question is, that'll speed up the process a lot. So it's a really important skill to learn when you first start looking into um, your family history. So, so if I was to write you and say, I'm looking for my second great-grandfather, Patrick Murphy, who came over f- from Ireland in 1840-something, that, that wouldn't be enough. It, it would be a good start. I'd usually kind of like be like, well, where did they settle in Canada? You know, who did they marry? Who were their kids? Because with that, it, and I, Ireland in 1840, it's like, ugh. I know there's no, there's not a lot of like... And- immigration information pre-Canadian Confederation. So it gets it gets yeah. tricky. You have to kind of look at alternative sources and hope that there's information there like land petitions and land records and things of that nature. I, I knew his wife was Bridget. <laughs> Would that help? Patrick and Bridget from Ireland? 
<laughs> you, know, you must know them. There's only I think I've only ever seen those names once in Canada <laughs> and in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I I have no I have no Patrick Murphys. I do have no Patrick Murphys. Lyons, but no Murphys. <laughs> I but, just got. Uh, at least none, I just none, got none, my mother. Of. Speaking of Ireland, I just got my mother's uh, DNA test results back. I had done my father's a few years ago. Um, but I, uh, I, I had I sent my mother's in right after Christmas, and she came back as fifty percent Irish. And I would like, you know, not that I put a whole lot of weight on like the ethnicity, um, yeah. But I, I, it was fun, yeah. Was fun. I was like, huh, like I know there was a lot of Irish because I've researched her family, but I was just surprised to see that yeah. her DNA came out as this like. 50 percent I was like wow 50 percent and she was surprised too I'm like hey mom you're 50 percent Irish right like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was really it was it was fun I I did my my what the thing I did my wife's for her Christmas gift for her and we knew her family was Finnish um but I the thing that really surprised me the most is the cousin matches which is why I like doing the the um doing the DNA is getting Same. those family matches because, um, you know, especially for people that actually done some, fa they have their family trees up there, but her, her great grandmother, so her mother's side of the family. So her parents were both from um, her, her mother, her, her grandmother's, uh, her mother's mother. So her maternal grandmother, both her mm -hmm. parents from Finland and, uh, we did it. Uh, we used uh, my heritage, and but the amount of cousins she had from Finland. The, uh, Finland has a population of I think about six point three hmm. million. She had she had over sixty three hundred cousins that were still living in Finland that matched. So that's I just like astounded by what percentage that is of the population. But considering those are the ones that actually used that study. Uh, which we're hoping that we can we can get some things, but we we'll, we know sort of where they they are, and then just even that finish line from other cousins that wound up immigrating to North America that we were able to find, but just the the astounding amount of people that were mm -hmm. still in Finland that did the test and related that's you know I just found that remarkable um, and. No, I find it pretty reliable as far as the cousin matches because um, I look through the names. I've been able to find cousins that, oh, yeah, I know that they are a cousin because that's a, a family name I've been able to find and I can actually trace them and and, and make that connection. I know I have uh, relatives in, from my, my grandfather, half, well, not quite half is, um, siblings all wound up going down to Massachusetts post-World mm -hmm. War II. So I found a lot of matches there that, you know, I know they're my cousins um, and I know the names, but I knew the names of his brothers, his sisters that went down there and their, their, their married mm -hmm. names and their husband's names. But I sort of lost contact with the generations afterwards. So I've been able to now fill in those those lines and and find those people do people come with that information to you that's what they know about their their immigration well my dna says my family came from 
Um, do you have that now more that people are, this is becoming a more common thing that people are doing DNA tests for, well, for genealogical purposes, but they're not really in the genealogy. They didn't, they don't have any of their own family records or haven't done much with it. They, but they, they found that, well, we, we didn't, we knew great grandma was from, wasn't from Canada. We didn't know where, well, our ancestry mm -hmm. says this, do they, do you have people, do you have people coming with just that information? Yeah, trying for to sure. I mean, all, all of us um, who have done DNA tests, uh, we see in our results when we're looking at our connections, how many of those connections actually have trees? Not a whole lot, or just a handful of folks, I find. In my experience, it might be different for everybody, but in my experience, yeah. when I look at my dad's you know, connections, my mom's connections, lots of people, not a lot of trees. So often, I, I think um, folks use the DNA testing just to get that, that ethnicity result, you know, that big picture. Like, where am I from? Oh, okay, I'm from Ireland and I'm from here and I'm from, you know, do, 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 do. And that's, and that is so fun. I mean, it's fun and it's a fun gift uh, to give to people, but then it just kind of stops because they, people just want to know that information, right? And then they're satisfied. Um, I would assume that ancestry or, you know, the, uh, <sighs> my heritage, all the companies that uh, have that service and also uh, the geneal genealogy of uh, the records and databases to go along with it. They're hoping that doing the test is going to uh, ignite the curiosity to find out more. Then people will subscribe and they will start doing genealogy research. Uh, it's wonderful if it happens. I don't think it happens a lot. So to answer your question, yes, there are folks that come in and they say, oh, I did a DNA test. And it says that my family is from here and here. And I was like, oh, you know, we're always like, oh, well, that's fascinating. Isn't that fun? Mm -hmm. um, let us go through and uh, see what we can find. Maybe we can get them back to that place or that country of origin. And, and, and it's kind of great because we're teaching people at the same time, right? So like folks who have maybe dipped their their toe into the pool of genealogy and tried a little bit. Lots of people get overwhelmed. They go on the sites and they enter a name and then they get 50,000 results and they kind of don't know what to do. But when they work with us and they see, okay, now we're gonna go, we're gonna start in the 21 census. Let's see if we can find the family. Yep, here they are. Here's all the kids. This is where they lived. And people are like, oh my God, yes, that's amazing. And then it's like, okay, let's see. You know, if we can find a marriage for this person, oh, look, there's the parents' names. Let's go back another generation. Here they are in the 1901 census. Here's the family, the brothers and sisters. You know, and so they're under, they get an understanding of like how to, like those basics, right? Um, what sources to use, what information is in these sources, how to use the information in the document to go back another generation. So it's a really great learning tool. And a lot of people, who come in with like no experience or very minimal experience, uh, oftentimes they are inspired to go home and do it on their own. And so, you know, they also get to see what sort like what sources, like what websites we're using. They're like, oh my gosh, can you write down all of these websites that you use? 
because of course we use um, ancestry and uh, mostly because I feel they, well, I mean, they have a lot of things, but they have um, the best databases for the Canadian arrival records, in my opinion, uh, because their search, um, their searching capabilities are so flexible with like wildcard searching and, and things of that nature. So um, we use them, we have a worldwide account so we can access everything. What else do we have? We are an affiliate library for uh, family search. So that means that we, as an affiliate library, we have access to certain collections that are not accessible by, um, with a, like a consumer or a basic uh, free account. So we don't have as much as the LDS, we don't have as much access as the LDS uh, family um, history centers but we have more access than a non-LDS member with a personal um, kind of account on family search. So that's super helpful for us <laughs> being able to have uh, those. So, and I mean, you know, that said, if somebody at home is using family search and there's, you know, they find that they can't access the record we can do lookups and things like that. So you can like call or email and see if we can pull up the, that document and, and send them information <clears throat> or come in and, you know, we can do a quick lookup because if you're in the area and you wanna come into the Scotiabank Family History Center at the museum, you'd actually don't have to pay admission to go into the museum to come into the, to the library and work with us. So that's also kind of a nice, a nice benefit that we're more accessible to the to the public in that way and you know because not everybody is going to want to go to the museum even though I think that they should because there's lots of great things to learn in there it's not just the Pier 21 story anymore now that we're a national museum you know we talk about the whole the complete history of immigration into Canada and the effects that it has had uh, in with recognition of our Indigenous communities as well so there's a, a bigger, broader story there that uh, a lot of people can um, connect to. Um, I kind of went off track there. <laughs> no, no, that that's that's perfect. That's what I'm. I'm happy. I'm. I, I like where mm. the the track. Let's talk about our to. sources. Sorry, I wanted um, to talk a little bit more about that because I kind of touched on it earlier yeah. in the conversation where I said that we're not a repository for documents. We're not. We're not an archive in that sense. We're, for like immigration records. We don't have anything more than what you're gonna find online for Canadian immigration records, official immigration records. We have a couple, yeah. you know, we have a couple small collections. We have the 1925 to 1935 Canadian arrivals on microfilm, which can be incredibly helpful because sometimes those digital images online are not nice, but when we can pull them up on the microfilm, they're usually better and we can adjust them and get a better quality from them. So that's really helpful. We have the Chronicle Herald on microfilm from 1928 to 1971. So we uh, use that from time to time. We have some internal sources for uh, war brides after the war uh, on microfilm. We have some internal sources for the troop ship movements, but they do not include service personnel names. But if somebody has dates and there's a few ways that we can kind of 
help with that research. That's tough research, but people, you know, of course they come to us because the, you know, the service personnel came and went from this port. I think it's 98%, it's, it's very high. Yeah. Um, but though that information is all in the service files for each individual, hopefully, usually. And then there is some um, troop shipment movement documents that were created by the Department of National Defense that are on microfilm with Library and Archives Canada. And sometimes in those collections, you can find um, sort of like a passenger list of, you know, the service personnel that was on that, uh, that crossing. Uh, so that is very um, difficult research to do <laughs> because, you know, it's a situation where the service personnel files are not public from 1921, or from 1920, from World War II. Um, if, if the person survived the war, those are not available to the public yet. And so they need to be requested. It's usually about a year or two wait right now for those um, to, 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 to receive those files once you've requested them. And, uh, and then the DND files, of course, they're not, uh, they're, they're, they're just on, on microfilm, difficult to, to research, but you know, there's, there's options there, but that gets, that gets tricky. Uh, other sources that we use, of course, Library and Archives Canada website. I love using their census records in certain situations, especially for the prairies. You can really narrow down the township and range and then look at very, very specific. And you're only going to get that area, unlike a, a website like Ancestry, where you put things to be exact and it's bringing you bringing up results in places that you, know, you don't want. I'm like, no, I said this place exactly. Why am I, why are you giving me results for somewhere that's not that place? Um, so love Library and Archives Canada. Um, we have subscriptions to Find My Past uh, Worldwide. Um, Scotland's people, which anybody has the those Scotland connections, which I know a lot of us do down here in the Maritimes. Um, wonderful site, expensive, <laughs> expensive, oh, <yeah. laughs> but it's so good. Uh, I I actually find it's pretty reasonable compared for certain things. Like I know if I want to print a document from the Nova Scotia Vital Statistics uh, Marriage Certificate. I'm paying. Not like anymore. Oh, is it? That's right. They did change. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it can. Yes, you're but, right. I think it's like three. I think it ends up being like about three dollars per document. I think because it's all credit based. It depends on how much. Yeah, it's all credit based. Yeah, I like the way they did it. Like that, you and like most of the records cost six credits, but you can buy different. Yeah, the, amounts. Yeah. For for 10, 10 bucks Canadian, you get like sixty credits or something like that. I, yeah, for 70, 75 credits or something. But yeah, because it, it yeah worked out. I found pretty reasonable compared to what I was getting Nova Scotia records. Yeah, it went um, for sure, and, for sure. Uh, I think yeah, I, I think the credit system can work really well for somebody who who is doing their own research and they're and they they're finding yeah. things that they know for sure is their person because as soon as you open up to look at the original you've paid the credit so it's you don't get like well, that's what i've used that in, in combination with um the family search i've looked to family search and i've gotten the because they'll have the indexed mm -hmm, information mm -hmm. for some of the records but i can't mm -hmm. actually see the physical records so then if i'm 
on family search. Okay. Right. That's who I'm looking for. I want to actually print a copy of the record now. Yeah. Let's. And that's brilliant. That. Yeah. That's, that's where I like, you're getting into the advanced like research techniques or like, you know, really getting a sense of like kind of what's out there and how you can use something to like your best advantage, like totally using all types of different sources. So, you know, a lot of folks are like ancestry is the place and they, they just are only using ancestry for their research, but there's so much else out there and they work different ways. You know, there's different information. They're transcribed or indexed by different people. Um, So you could search for one, you know, two, two or three websites could have the same record collections on them. But if they're indexed by different people and their search um, engines run differently, you're going to get different results. So that's brilliant. And I think a really good thing to talk about is kind of knowing what, knowing what's out there is part of like the battle, right? Like go check here. I'm not getting any results. I'll go over to this site and check that. And, you know, I definitely do that too with those Scott, but that Scottish is go there, use the free version get the index, hop yeah. back over <laughs> to the Scotland's people. Uh, and I like Scotland's people too, because it's the only site, I believe, that has the Scotland 1911 census audit. Ancestry just has the uh, the index for it, like not the originals. So, yeah. uh, and as we know, you want to look at the original. You have to look at the original. You know, if you have the opportunity to look at the original, you have to look at it. If you don't, Eh, you gotta kind of just take that with a grain of salt might be true might not be true you know I don't know because I can't see the original especially if you see an inconsistency for what you know you've already discovered could be a transcription error etc etc so oh definitely like even the Canadian census the 1921 census I was doing a a one I'm doing a one-place study on Donkin, Nova Scotia. And that's where actually I started. I started with the 1921 census. I got a transcription of it and I'm slowly adding, um, besides my own family, other people into that one place study as I find other records of them. It's sort of a, a side thing I'm doing that I'd like to spend more time doing, but unfortunately time's limited sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, in there, like the, the transcription errors, you know, just abound. I mean, um, oh, yeah. You know, you know there's a list, list of family named persons. It's right. Persons. You're going to see like, it so many you know, ways, right? If I, if I wouldn't have looked at the record and then, then actually gone back and tried to compare it with other things as well, um, you know, it, it would have been, it would have been hard. And I probably would have thought okay that's kind of a ridiculous name but i can see it maybe somebody has the last name persons uh, yeah for sure and um, you know and that's a, a big challenge that we have too because you know of course we're really familiar with you know british names and you know <laughs> but when we're getting into yeah. you know eastern europe or, or wherever it may be the the um the indexing and the and the uh, um, the translation of things it can be all over the place and then you know you add into like transliteration when the record was created and when the passenger list was created then you know their errors can happen there so it gets uh, incredibly um complicated uh 
knowing um, naming conventions from all the different cultures, because somebody might be John in Canada, but you know, you know that they were not named John when they were born in Poland, you know, like we know that it's going. So when they enter Canada, they're not going to come under the name John. Usually they're going to come under their original name. And depending on what port they left out of, it might not be the Polish version of John. It might be the German version of John because they're leaving out of Hamburg, right? So there's so many considerations. Yeah. But, you know, because we do this all the time, we kind of know. You know, and then when we're looking at the results, if we see a name that just does not look like a name, you know how some like you're saying like persons, like if we see a name that's just got a bunch of random letters and it's like it's like, well, okay, let's look at it, right? Let's look at it. Part of being good at this job is to take the blinders off and be very flexible on what you will consider um, when you're, you know, especially when you're looking at the results of your searches. Because I think um, the biggest disservice that we can do to ourselves is to be looking for something specific, you know, like folks who say, oh, my great grandfather came through Halifax in 1905 or you know, 1885 on this specific ship and, you know, don't see it. However, we find the same person, the same name, same wife, same kids, you know, from the same place, going to the right place in Canada, but it's a different year and it's a different ship. And to, you know, sometimes folks are like, no, that's not them. <laughs> it's like, no, no, <laughs> it is them. <laughs> Everything else ticks the box. Since that it's not the same, the year that you thought or that you were told that can change because that oral history and how people remember and misremember will change over time. It's the whisper game, right? So those fine details can change, you know. And so if you don't have something that is like, created at the time that gives that information they're like oh I have their landed immigrant card here's the stamp from the port with the ship name on it that's not that because I know for sure they come here where's the manifest you know then so yeah I guess just that open-mindedness that anything is possible you got to think about where the source what the source of that information is that you have that you hold so dear that you think is accurate is it is that really accurate how well do people take to those shocks or what's sort of the biggest one? Like, Oh, I thought, you know, I thought my family was mm. Irish and you're saying they came from like, is there, do you get people that have that? Because, you know, not to say you're Irish in the 1800s was, you know, properly a popular thing because there was a stigma mm -hmm. to being Irish then, but you know, that type of thing where they, people might've, denied they might not have passed on their their heritage because there was a stigma to being um from sure. a certain country or, or a certain period so so <sighs> i you know i as a you know person born just before the 21st century i have no clue what they were because i thought they were you know english but do, do people do you get big shocks like uh, that often or it varies i mean you know, like when you're like we on a in a regular year, <laughs> not 
pre pre COVID days, we would see roughly about 30,000 people in the Family History Center per year. So that's a lot of different folks um, and a lot of different personalities. So it, it varies. Some people are very rigid and they're like, no, this is what I was told. This is what is true. You know, and that they're not accepting of the information because we just present it as we find it, right? And, you know, yeah. if we're not sure, we tell them we're not sure, but it's accurate, we'll say it's accurate. And, you know, it's really not on us. Um, it, that, if they don't want to believe it or, you know, that's fine. I, you know, like uh, there's, yeah. I, I have compassion there, of course. Right. Um, but then, you know, other people are like, they take it, it just rolls off their back. You know, the oftentimes we'll hear you like, oh yeah, well, you know, grand, grandpa was always a big liar anyway, or, you know, grandma <laughs> always told stories or, you know, and there's a laugh about it. Right. And they're, and they're open to it or they find it interesting and, you know, like, huh, I can't believe that. That's really surprising to me, you know, and then maybe it turns into a conversation of how that, you know, story could have changed over time or why they would have, you know, um, kept that information like to themselves or didn't want to share that or, you know, change their name and wanted to assimilate or wanted to hide something, you know, you talk about kind of what the circumstances were at the time uh, in society. There's all types of different reasons why people did um, the things that they did. Some people want to talk about it and other people don't. So um, I respect people's right to kind of choose whatever they want to choose. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, there, there was a reason, but and it could give you a really good understanding, you know, when you understanding, if you look into the history of the time, yeah, okay, that's, that's why they probably made mm. that choice. Like I said, oh, there was a stigma of being attached to being that that uh, nationality right. or um, you know or there was a yeah just you know they really they really just had a, a a bad past in the previous country and they they were starting fresh and they wanted to you know they were Canadian and that's they want to be considered Anglo-Canadian so they anglicized their names Anglo and mm -hmm. you know and I you know what I love that I love that you it. brought that up because that's like something yeah. that I think is really important to think about, like uh, in regards to um, immigration records and passenger lists, especially for those that are coming from uh, non-British uh, areas of the world, that um, there's this um, misconception in the public that names are changed by the immigration officers at the ports of entry. And I can tell you, somebody who has been doing this for how many years? 13? <laughs> Every day, I look at a lot of passenger lists. Um, I, 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 I mean, I must have seen it before. I've seen corrections, but I've never seen ever somebody's name crossed out and Smith written in. You know, like that, that, that story that it, you know, there was um, a process over time <laughs> to immigrate in the way, you know, there is today. Wasn't, uh, I think, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I want to immigrate to Canada. I'm just going to go down to the pier 
buy a ticket, get on the ship and go to Canada. You know, you had to, you know, you would go to uh, an immigration agent or maybe a um, shipping line company who had it, you know, were responsible for the immigration kind of paperwork process. And you would have to, you know, do interviews, provide, um, you know, information, identifying information about yourself, provide uh, police reports, you know, that you were of good character, things of that nature. And I mean, we even see that in um, the process that uh, our, the Nova Scotia Foreign Protestants went through, you know, in what, what was that, 1750s? So, you know, that's not a new thing. This is a thing that's always happened. So what happens, you know, immigration agent or shipping line collects all the information, the thinks that the person is a good candidate and they get approved to immigrate to Canada. You know, the paperwork is sent off to the port of departure. Passenger lists are usually created there or they're created on board by the purser, depending on the time frame and the company. And they're created from that original paperwork that's created. That's either created in English or in a different language and has to be transliterated. So then of course there can be um, mistakes made. Uh, there could be mistakes made because they're looking at, uh, they can't understand the handwriting on the original paperwork when they're putting it onto the manifest uh, forms. So mistakes can happen there. So we'll see variants on the documents, but they're often very close to the original spelling of the name. And then when the ship arrives, you know, doctors usually go on, clear it, you know, make sure there's no illnesses, all health stuff is done before people come. Uh, doctors go through, check for everything, gets a clear, everybody, you know, it disembarks. And then they go through the immigration process where they, you know, speak to an immigration officer that has the passenger list or the record, you know, and checks everything off, just make sure that it's accurate. So oftentimes you'll see little ticks uh, next as a yes, yes, yes. Uh, it depends on the time frame. Um, sometimes you'll see added notes. Uh, sometimes you will see a, a name kind of crossed off and rewritten in, but it's usually a better, the, the proper spelling of the name and not a full complete name change. So it's not until people are really living in their communities that you really see the names start to change. Uh, and that's because oftentimes folks don't speak the language. Uh, that's when that uh, phonetic, because people are like, oh, well, they said the name and then they wrote it like this on the manifest, right? <laughs> but it's usually once in the new country that that happens because these you know, British English speaking people don't know how to spell uh, these folks names. And so we'll see, you know, in the early records, and, and it's interesting because when you look, you know, hopefully you have somebody who comes during the time where censuses are created, you can see the, all the variants and you can, you know, sometimes see how it deconstructs and how it turns into what it turns into. And then sometimes it just happens kind of immediately. There's no process to do that until about 1920, 1920s is when we're seeing uh, legislation in provinces so that you can actually legally change your name. It 
just a natural occurrence. Some people, you know, it's very close. Sometimes it doesn't change at all, but then other times it's completely different. But often, more times than not, <laughs> it's the original spelling or the cl uh, very close to the original spelling that is actually on the passenger list. So if you know your sp the spelling of your name in Canada is something that, you know, and it, it, it's like, okay, here's a good example. I was a couple, no, let's say two months ago, I was searching for um, like a Sklov family, like S-K-L-O-V was the name in Canada. And um, when I found the family coming, it was actually like Kamiskalovsky, but they had just broken it down to something that was more manageable and you know what I mean, to Sklov. So in Canada, and the, the patron had no idea. They were just like, I just thought it was just Sklov. Like they just didn't know. So they would have been looking for themselves and researching. They would have all, all been always looking for Sklov in the passenger lists because. It's probably that first census. There's that limited space that we have in census for so many letters, you know, some of those larger names are hard. So you have to try to. You mean for your search param and your, when you're searching? <laughs> no. No, I'm saying, oh, you know, the, oh, the, the form, the actual physical form. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, well, I have to fit in that space. So <laughs> some of those long yeah. Eastern European names. Well, I know even I have uh, cousins that are McGuinnesses, and I'm sure amongst the six kids in that family, they also have I'm McGuinness in my family, too. So, you know, you have to search for it with like, oh, like eight different variants yeah. of McGuinness. <laughs> Yeah. So it, the same applies, um, except for, you know, it's generally going to be yeah. something that is like relatively close to McGinnis. You know, it's not going to turn, uh, oftentimes it doesn't turn into like Innis or S or, you know, Mackie yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it usually keeps that same kind of yeah. like name. I'm not saying that, I mean, and, and yeah. anything's possible. Anything's possible. So, you know, of course there are exceptions to the rule in genealogy. There is always, every, nothing... Nothing is ever oh, like exact, right? <laughs> this is the way it is. I know. I I was looking at one page of a census I, a while back, and I'm sure there was a prejudice who ever was taking it because all the Mac names were Mac. There wasn't one MC. So, and I'm sure there was people in the community that were MCs. In fact, I know there was because the person I was looking for. Mm. Was I don't, MC. I never put any weight on MC or MAC. I know that is like important to some nope. people. It's important for me because I spell my name MAC, but in research, I'm just like, yeah. whatever, you know, sometimes you see it MC, sometimes you see it MAC, sometimes you see it M apostrophe. Sometimes the Mac is at the end and not at the beginning. Like it doesn't matter. It really, it doesn't, you know, my great, yeah. great, grandfather his tombstone is mc but then like his son and my grandfather's mac you know the catholic records are all mc but the uh, other religions are you know mac like it's you know it's and that's the thing that's about like not yeah. restricting yourself you know and not kind of putting the blinders on and only looking for one thing and not considering kind of other you know not considering like other evidence that you're finding because it's not exactly what you want to see. It's all about learning how to analyze yeah, the information and making the connections to see if, if it is, you know, 
or if it's a possibility, right? And if you can't prove it, then you got to try to disprove it, right? Yeah, I have a third great grandmother that I've seen her on record says her last name is Welch, Walsh, mm -hmm. and Welch. And it's, it's the same mm -hmm. person, same husband. It's like, you know, it's them. Um, you know, same. So I know it's them, but <laughs> I don't know what, I haven't gotten past her to, to find her father um, to, and be sure of it <laughs> because it's on her marriage. Uh, her maiden name is on her marriage mm. record. Her father isn't but on that? It's, and it is, but spelled one way, the same as her name. But when I look at uh, another record where I found them, found her, she is spelled with W-E, I think it was on her death certificate, it was W-E-L. And then I found another one, it was W-E-L-S-H on another record yeah. I had seen. But you know, it's all her. So, so how, how, I'm curious, like, how does that prevent it, you from like kind of finding out more uh, about like her father? Well because I haven't been able to find anything other than that marriage record. So I might be looking at, maybe it was spelled wrong on the marriage record, but I haven't been able to find where it was spelled she, the other way. Where was she either. married? So I... Like what? Like in um, Canada? She or? was... Like, it was in Canada. I was actually, sorry. She was married province? in Canada, yes. Okay. It was and that, so then it's like after... Yeah. It was in... It was in the 1840s. 18, so. Oh, so do you have a church record then? Okay, um, that's what so I've it's seen. not a it's not and a marriage record. It's, like a, it's not a vital stat record. It's yeah. church record. And did it's a church record? Yeah, and the church was she band. a ban a ban or because because her father's the, name wouldn't be on I believe it was those, in the, those Nova Scotia bands that we see in the vital stats collection. No, um. It's probably a church. It must be a church. I remember where? What what community was it's a it? Church record. Yeah, it was in her. I want to say it's Lower Prospect oh, area. Oh, like research on there. Have you been on the prospect? The little prospect website. There's like an independent. There's some fun stuff on there. Um, yeah, that's that's where I've got some of it, and I think actually some of the other records I got from a person that was in the another so they must the be catholic there. are they and she's just yeah because i think there's like yep. three catholic churches in that area well then i mean were there did, were there other like welsh's or walsh's in that area besides her family i can't she, i can't find them she's married the ones that i'm looking the, the, the match up with names like huh. but i haven't dug too much deeper after yeah, that, I'm doing some of, research kind of down like, in that area right now for somebody too. <laughs> like, but it's kind of slightly earlier. I've tried to connect them to that area around like 1810, 1820-ish. And it's challenging, right? Because the lot like, you know, yeah. the lack of records or the detail on the records, right? So, but it's fun. It's fun. I like I like the challenge. Yeah. So yeah, that is the, it is a challenge. Anyways, I think we've gone I know. way over the. I'm so hoping. terrible. <laughs> I, like I can talk about this all day. I'm the worst. So I'm sorry if I took us over time. <laughs> no, this is this is great. Um, I I love talking. I know um, 
you know, people love listening. So I might even actually, uh, you know, when we're done with this, I might wind up breaking it into two sections if I have to. Uh, Okay. So that's sort of the the main part. And like I said, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. So about your bootlegging, was it grandfather you said or great grandfather? Oh, he's like a third, second or third great grandfather. Are we still recording or are we done? Yeah, no, thank you for uh, joining me, Kara. I I hope that we, uh, we get a chance to talk again uh it was great uh learned a lot of great things and um yeah i'm really looking forward to to being able to visit you in the center when i am allowed back over in nova scotia sometime um and uh, like you said uh, w- welcome i'd love to have you on again sometime um, yeah that would be great i had so much fun talking with you today brian uh, anytime that you uh, invite me on back onto the show, I am more than willing. And please let me know once the bubble opens and, and you're able to come over to Halifax, uh, come on down, come visit me. Maybe we can grab a coffee or something. And uh, maybe we won't, you know, talk as long <laughs> as we did today. <laughs> So yeah, that was a really quite a, an experience having uh, care on. Um, we had a good chat. Must have went on for e- an hour or more afterwards, and we discussed a, a bunch of genealogical things. And I, I was talking to her about the brick wall that was, and I'm saying was because um, she was able to help me break it down. That was my great grandmother. Um, yeah, I had been stuck on that for. A long time and it had been sort of backed away from it and coming back and we were talking and it, it wasn't a matter of 15 minutes but uh, a couple hours later after we were done she uh, she sent me some information and uh, I was able to verify it and yeah I was able to break that down and I'm hoping to do actually a YouTube video on that um, because I had done a YouTube video previously on that brick wall um, so I'm really thankful for to care for that. And you know what? If you're if you're a person and you've not done any genealogical research, definitely, definitely uh, check out the the Scotiabank Center, um, Family History Center at Pier Twenty One. They have a great website. Um, great people there. They're able to really really dig in and help you. Um, in other news, this, ep- this episode came out a little late. I had been taken a vacation earlier in the week and then uh, I've actually been in the process of beginning some renovations we're doing later this uh, this summer so we're doing some interior movements uh, I spent some time ripping up some carpets uh, m- moving some rooms uh, I moved into a, a new a new spot to, for my office slash studio um, so that's pretty exciting um, I'm hoping that this will be a, a, a little bit better space um, so to to do my podcast and to do my um, YouTube videos from speaking of YouTube I had a, a really amazing week um, at the end of last week I had been at 42 subscribers I'm now over a thousand more than that um, 
as of recording this video so I'm really excited it uh, seems to come about about because just because of one YouTube video where I was talking about the um, the colorization tool on the my heritage website so you know if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel it's um, <clears throat> how we got here genealogy um, and there'll be a link in the in the uh, show notes anyways thank you for spending an, another hour plus now with me uh, today I really appreciate it and you keep searching for your ancestors thank you for listening to this episode of how we got here make sure you check out the show notes for more information about today's topic and guests how we got here is hosted and produced by Brian Nash title music from tribute to O'Carolan by Luna Bajowski.